Today, my guest is Dr. Sunil Boyrul in California, a bariatric surgeon. Dr. Boyrul, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Um, you came to the mastermind, the bariatric mastermind in February in Dallas, Fort Worth. We've been working together for a little while. And one of the, one of the things that you shared, I think hit a nerve because you were brave enough to be very transparent and open about the fact that you didn't start your business with any sort of business plan. You, you, uh, through some process, you heard the term EBITDA. And, uh, I think unless you went to business school, you probably don't know what that term means. So I thought today we would take 10 or 15 minutes and talk about what's the value of having a business plan for a private practice bariatric surgeon. Can you, first question, what made you decide to sit down and look at what you were doing? You mentioned a book, but was, was that the, what, what was the determining factor in you saying, we, we've got to get a form, some sort of formal plan written down? Yeah, you know, I, I've been in private practice since uh, 2007. And like most of my colleagues, um, you know, you, you go to medical school and um, you, I, I was an, an employed physician coming out of training for seven years from 2000 to 2007. And when I started off in private practice, I thought, wow, this is going to be fairly straightforward. I'll just show up, I'll hire a couple of people, put my shingle on the door and make lots of money. And, um, and quite frankly, that, that is kind of how it worked, for, <laughs> at least for a little while. And, and I did what most people did. And you sort of look at your bank balance every now and then and you go, yeah, it sounds about right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm making money. And, um, and had I stayed as a, a solo private practitioner with a low to medium volume um, in a single office with three or four employees, um, there really wouldn't have been a reason to make any changes at all. Um, it, it was working just fine. And then a couple of things happened. Um, a lot of people, not you, but a lot of people sort of knock on your door and, you, and they say, I have a great idea. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you super wealthy because you're going to invest in my surgery center or you're going to pay me $60,000 to do a commercial on lap bands. And depending on how they look and smell, you go, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And you cut a check. For, I cut a check to $75,000 to a surgery center. I cut a check for $60,000 to a Fox News advertising executive. Uh, but she gave me free baseball tickets. I'll, I'll give you that. So, um, uh, and, and sooner or later, you, you know, you, you come to the realization that you're just burning money. That, um, so then I did what, what I'd always been taught, which was to go out and, and find people, find really, really smart people to, to come and work for you. So I eventually uh, met a guy who was a Duke MBA and um, he was an MD MBA. And, and I thought, wow, see, you know, this guy sounds eminently qualified. Um, and um, so maybe uh, all I have to do is focus on being a doctor and, uh, and this guy can do it. And actually um, he did just the opposite. Um, he spent most of the time um, writing up legal structures which would protect him and uh, and divert more and more money towards him, and never once mentioned the word business plan. Um, never once um, uh, did anything that I thought that needed to be done. Things like um, negotiating better insurance contracts, understanding you know cash flow, and I sort of had a had a rough idea of of what needed to be done. Um, but so I fired this guy, um, and then decided. Well, you know, it was really quite sad because. 
I really had to do it myself, you know, and you'd never expect someone to operate on themselves. You'd never expect someone to, to, to learn about medicine. So I really didn't think that, that I had to learn about finance. And yet you have to, it's, it's, a, it's like a fundamental truth. If you don't understand, if you don't understand finance and you don't understand the, the flow of the, the flow of resources, not just money, but the flow of resources through your company, then you, you're, you're set up for disaster. And I saw, the vast majority of my colleagues getting really old and um, hanging up their shingle and maybe being thanked by, you know, by getting a cup of coffee and they, people even had parties for them, you know, lifetime achievement award. But by the time they left that party with the lifetime achievement award, they were, they were spent, they were exhausted and, and nothing, all the, all these decades and decades of hard work. Um, so I went back to the drawing board and I started reading and, uh, and I love to read. And most of my colleagues in my position love to read because, because that's what we do. Um, and, and I, I'd read business books and I read, um, I read a book. I, I decided I needed to write a business plan. So I, I went off and I started reading lots of books on business plans. And one of them caught my attention because the introduction said a business plan isn't a plan. It is the business. It's not about, it's not about how am I going to plan for, you know, for expansion or how am I going to plan for this or that or the other? If you don't have a business plan, you have no idea what your business is. And so, so I just started from scratch and, and, and started educating myself. And, and funnily enough, as you, as you start educating yourself and as you start asking the right questions, you then do begin to bump into the right people. By asking the right questions, you, you bump into people who understand, you know, what a spreadsheet looks like, who understand, and you can ask when you know how to ask the right questions. Um, and who understand the, the, the value of, of your daily cash flow, of EBITDA, of your accounts receivable, um, uh, of, uh, of your cost per case. None of these things, this was all a foreign language to me. I mean, I, I understood the difference between a band bypass and a sleeve, and I thought that's what I needed to do. But, um, and that's fine if you're going to be an employed physician. But if you're going to be a, a private practice physician and you don't understand the language of business, that's like being in a foreign country and not speaking their language. You know, you're, you're screwed. Um, and, and sadly, the, the, a lot of people out there who claim to be consultants, consultants should be called the C word, um, you, you know, are not out there to necessarily um, serve your best interest and right. oftentimes serve their own best interest. Yep. Um, yeah. So a, a good friend of mine who owns a pain clinic says, if you've read one business book you've read more business books than any um anyone with a medical license and yeah. i mean I, I see why that is there's no there's not time in medical school to cram in a whole maybe you know a whole session on how to operate a business so i wanted to ask you because we see this you know we talked about the bariatric dip there's a difference like you said the the small to medium volume clinic you've got two or three people max and and when you're running that kind of a clinic if you've got good steady flow of patients, you can manage the business by, you know, opening your office door and looking out and saying, ah, things are going good. And you can check the bank balance. Yeah. That may, that may not be the best way to do it, but if you want to grow a business that operates when you're away on vacation or you can take time off and you have these layers of people, and then you have a staff of, well, I don't know what you guys are up to, but then you have to start managing by reports. And I think that's where the disconnect is. I've never, you know, I think most surgeons would say, I don't know even what reports to ask for. I don't know how to read them. That's exactly right. You, you, you don't know what to ask for. And then the other thing is that even with a small business, I, I, I was embezzled and, and I never saw it coming. 
and and it was only after you know understanding um understanding the flow of resources that i realized that we were we were getting steadily embezzled by a thousand dollars a week for five years which which hurts you know yes yeah it does seem like for the busy practitioner you know you're you went to school to to do this thing and you're doing it and as long as everything else is taken care of it's it seems like it's oftentimes manage management by abdication you just hey here take it someone else do it all but if you can't keep your hand on the pulse of the business which is the financials then you at some point there's a good chance you will lose control right because it, and it's opportunistic it, it's someone that's someone that's close to you and someone that you trust that's going through a bad patch in their life that sees that sees a lot of money on the table that can right. can easily be diverted in small amounts and, and not notice for years you know and and that's happened when, when it happened to me and i spoke to my colleagues i'd say the majority of them had had the same experience sure yep okay so just the the boil down version how did you how did you how did you uh finish one day and say this is my plan this is the plan we're going to carry out where how did you do that so so i, I read a book i um you know i, I appointed emily uh, goshen as, as my my coo emily uh, had just done her doctorate uh, a dnp and she had no business experience either and so i had her read it with me and we we took a crack at writing the plan and uh it was probably awful and we, um, yeah, we, we then, you know, had all all the colleagues in the office take a look at it and and criticize it. We we beat, beat it up over a number of dinners, and then um, we had a we had a group that was trying to to buy us as an MSO. So um, I had one of their people take a look at it, and and they beat it up, and it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- then you realize the plan is a living document. That there is no, you you know, you don't need to. It's not a final product. And and then when we have arguments in the office and we say um, and we say well you know I, we we talked about this we put this in the plan this is no, this is no surprise and we can we can argue about it but if if it's not in the plan it, it doesn't exist it's almost like if it's not in the chart it you know you've got no legal defense yes. and and the plan is is a phenomenal way of communicating uh, between the the stakeholders in your practice uh, just for anyone out there who's <clears throat> who's maybe googling it EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which, as, as you know, um, as a private practice physician, if you ever plan to make any sort of exit, that number is going to become very, very important to you. Um, There's several numbers out there, but <clears throat> if you're going to sell a practice or you know, bring in an, another physician and have them evaluate, have someone put a price on the practice or value, it's going to come down to that EBITDA number. Um, how has, I mean, knowing what that means and putting things down on paper, how has that changed all of your approach and your leadership to, I mean, how does that affect the day-to-day operating of what you're doing? Are you looking at different things? Are you asking different questions? What does that mean? Yeah, no, very much so. Because the other thing is that you're, you're right. The only way that you can have a sell practice is by understanding what your EBITDA is. And then you realize that different people define EBITDA differently. Uh, which which makes it which makes it even more confusing, right? And so, so once so the best person for you individually to assess your EBITDA is actually your your accountant. And so I sat down with my accountant, and said, okay, what what really is our EBITDA? Um, and and he said, well, let's let's just work backwards. How much do you pay yourself? How much do you leave in the practice? Um, and uh, and and that's that's a great start right there. And um, so I mean, so and then and then if you you know the most private practitioners, especially if you're that solo private practice guy, you want to just take everything out of the practice. You want to, you want, and you therefore give yourself an EBITDA of zero, 
because at the end of the year, you, you make sure there's absolutely no money left in the practice. And it feels good because then you've got more money in, in, the, in the account for, for you and your family to spend. So intuitively, that seems like the right thing to do. It's the worst thing you can do from a business standpoint, because when it comes to any valuation of the business, they say, sure, you're paying yourself a lot of money, but your business is worth exactly zero. Right. And so unless you, unless you have um, a structure for, for putting corporate profits, and so then you've got to talk to your accountant and you've got to say, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to, how am I going to leave money in the business? How am I going to call this a profit? And that's where your accountants say, okay, well, these are the tax structures. This is what a defined benefit plan looks like. And, and this is what an EBITDA looks like. And, and so you can get, um, in a private practice setting, you can get very creative about, about having a profit that you don't take out yourself, that is left in the business, that, that has a value associated with the business and is still helping you and your employees grow. You know, and, and my, my, own, uh, my own bias is a defined benefit plan because if you put that EBITDA into a defined benefit plan, it helps you and your strategic employees you know, uh, profit out of that. And it also means that a third party can come in and look at that as, your, as, your, as a very, very definable EBITDA. Yes. And then you also know, if you know that you're putting aside, just, just to make a number up, if you know that you're putting aside $100,000 a month, then you know right off the bat that your EBITDA is 1.2 million right. because that's, that, that's the money. And so when you focus on that number rather than the pure cash flow number, because before that I was just focusing on how much am I taking home every month? You know, right. Am I able to pay the bills? Am I able to, 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 meet, to meet payroll? And that's all well and good, but that does nothing to... To, to assert a value to your practice. Yes. And you, you guys are in a, a growth phase. Can you give a um, snapshot of what does your structure look like? Uh, maybe not every employee at the practice, but what is your, what is your management now? So it used, I assume when you started, it was you and then everyone doing work. Now you've put some management into place. What does that look like? Right, so so that's evolving as well, right? So, I mean, um, I, when, I, when I first um, put the business plan, I thought, Hell, I should be the CEO. Well, actually, I'm probably in the long term the worst person to be the CEO because because the one thing I learned by writing a business plan is I really don't understand business that well enough to be to be the CEO of, of, of an organization. So the structure depends on how you're going to. Um, the structure now is not the structure that necessarily has to be you know in a few years. Mm-hmm. But then you know in, in our plan we wrote we wrote me as a CEO. We we then have a CMO, a CNO, and a CFO. Um, the CFO hasn't been filled yet. But so the CFO is being deputized by our accountants and bookkeepers. But at least you know the layers. You, you know you know the management structure which we which we put aside, which we wrote out in the business plan. People are assigned to those tasks, which doesn't necessarily mean that they'll still be in those roles in a few years. Uh, for example, the CFO is the CFO and the CEO are, are classic um, examples of roles that I'm fulfilling the role of CEO with no intention of being the CEO. Our accountants and bookkeeper are fulfilling the roles of CFO without really, you know, us paying for a CFO um, uh, right now. So, but again, once you have that management structure, then you can you can decide not just on how your business is run, but also how you're going to incentivize people. How, you know, how do key stakeholders? What is the value of someone being a, a C anything? Um, you, you know, what um, what equity? How how do they build sweat equity in your business? How do they? Um, you know, how do they succeed when your business succeeds? And also, how do the, how do your long-term most loyal employees, you know, and you get, you know, we get some of our very junior employees involved in 
and sales and marketing and, and graphics. And they get very animated because they know that um, if this thing works out for them, for everyone in the long term, then there's some benefit to them. And it starts kind of a startup culture as well as a, um, uh, as well as a medical practice culture. Right. Okay. Last question. If, if there's a private practice surgeon listening and they say, man, I, whether, whether they're, they're small and growing and there's a few people or they're 30 employees and they say, I think I want to get this down. I want to, I want to get a business plan done. What, what do you suggest? What do they do? Do they just start Googling? Do they talk to their CPA? Uh, Google rich dad, poor dad business plan. That's, I mean, when I, I went through a lot of books and uh, that was the, the most readable book for someone in my situation, someone who has no business experience whatsoever. And um, very, very practical. Um, I think I think the guy's name is Kobayashi. I forget off the top of my head. Yeah. And um, but just Google Rich Dad Poor Dad Business Plan, and that's that's um, that's a great book. It's on Audible, and and do nothing. Just just put it in your car and just listen to it for 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 a few days, and um, uh, and and that's it. And, and and decide whether this makes sense for you. But again, if you if you're running a business and you don't have a business plan, you're operating in a foreign country and you don't speak that language. That's great. Dr. Boyrell, thank you. I'm going to hit stop here. Great. Thank you.